All right, hello everybody. Welcome to Dojo Talks. Today we're gonna to be talking about specifically the nature of US champion, the US championship, maybe national championships in general. But first, and we're gonna talk about how should they be structured? And I know that might be seem a boring subject, but oh, it gets me going. <laughs> um, and so, but first, I'm gonna hand it over to Kostya, and he is in St. Louis, where the US Championship is going on now, and he's gonna give us a little bit of report, just what the flavor is there. And David, of course, has also been doing commentary for chess.com, and he's gonna talk a little bit about the US Championship as it's happening. So Kostya, first to you. Yeah, uh, so right, currently, it, it, at the time of recording, it's the final rest day today. Uh, we're right in between rounds eight and nine, and, um, yeah, for those listening to this on the podcast later, of course, the champion is probably going to be determined uh, by then. Um, but as of now, we, we don't know who's going to win. We have uh, three players leading. We have Wesley So, uh, Sam Sevian, and Alex Lenderman. Um, Sevian and Lenderman, of course, not being two of the, the favorites. So big story so far, I think, is that just, you know, Fabi hasn't been playing well. He could have lost like multiple games in the first couple of rounds. He was like uh, fortunate to save it against Dominguez. Um, he uh, was also worse earlier. And then he ended up losing two games back to back uh, very dramatically bounced back. He's had like one and a half out of two in, in those last two games. And now he's uh, a point out of first. Actually, the U.S. championships is, is very tight. I believe it's only two points that separates first and last place. That's right. Um, so the top guys are all on like plus two right now with five out of eight. And then last place is on three out of eight. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's really anyone's uh, tournament right now. To me, it feels like Wesley. So is, is a clear favorite because he's one of the leaders and, you know, the highest rated, um, most experienced, let's say. Um, but, uh, I could see Dominguez winning, uh, winning it as well. I think he's only half point behind right now. And he's, um, so far, it seems like he's just played like very, very, solid he was in trouble in round one actually against uh, lenderman and then since then i think he's been totally fine um lenderman has been doing really really well somehow he like tends to perform well in in the u.s open and the u.s championship i don't know how he does it but <laughs> these are always like his tournaments so it's been very exciting um the u.s women's championship is also really interesting big story there is that uh chrissy yep is, is dominating um, Katarina Nemsova also doing really well. Um, but right now the leaders in the women's are Carissa with six out of eight, Nemsova five and a half, and uh, Irina Crush is a point behind with five out of eight with three rounds left. So I think those are the three kind of main players that actually have a chance. But the way Chris has been playing, it's hard to see who, who can stop her. She already beat Crush, she beat Satonsky. Uh, she's doing really, really well. Um, so, yeah, to me, it's been really interesting to follow. I mean, I've been following the games live every day. Uh, David's also been doing commentary every day, so I'm sure he has um, quite a bit of uh, insight as well. Um, yeah, what do you think, David? Did I miss any big big stories so far? No, I would say the biggest story is uh, Fabiano, like you said. And then I would say uh, that Lenderman, Sevian, and Robson are all playing quite well. As far as like you've got five twenty seven hundreds in this tournament, I think before the tournament started, the odds of a non twenty seven hundred winning the U.S. championship would have been 
considered really, really minimal, right? So um, the fact that Sedian and Lenderman and even Robson have a fair shot at winning the championship right now, um, I think is pretty notable, right? And, and that it's three of them, right? So the chance that one of those three ties for first in the U.S. championship at this point is probably in the 20 to 30% range. That, yeah. So that would be pretty amazing. Like any of those three players to get their first title, even if it's just a tie for first, um, would be really exciting. And I think all three of them will play it super well. And and then the final rounds are also very interesting because uh, Wesley, he still has to play both Sevian and Robson who are in contention and Naroditsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sevian has to play Wesley, but then he gets to play Naroditsky and Burke, two of the players that are not doing that well. Yeah. Um, and then Lenderman gets to play uh, Caruana, Shankland, and Bruzon. Um, so depending on how Caruana and Shankland show up, like Lenderman also has uh, some reasonable chances maybe, too. Yeah, maybe a bit of a tough road for him, but some chances. Yeah, because I think he has white actually against uh, the big guys. I believe he's white against Fabi, which is kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, what about you, Jesse? Have you been following the tournament and? What? Yeah, uh, and uh, as to me, the story, the story. Well, as a, I'm a huge fan of Caruana, and now I'm just noticing he's lost loads of points. He's down to third, and Nepo is like only four points behind him. He's at 2786. Nepo's at 2782. Mm-hmm. It might be psychologically important for Nepo to reach the number three spot. So that's that could happen <laughs> within a day or two. It could happen tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought also the story is I, I didn't really have, I think Naka's got an attitude. Like, Naka, buddy, you listening? You got to be playing, buddy. You don't ditch the U.S. championship. You play. Come on. Give me a break. <laughs> that was the other story I felt. Yeah. Right. I think it's his life and he can do what he wants with it. <laughs> well. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's important to know Naka will be playing in the Riga Fide Grand Swiss, which starts like five days after the U.S. championship ends. Fabi's going to play too. Um, yeah. Fabi's going to play as yeah. well, which yeah. is, yeah, will be interesting to see how he does because he's like supposedly the number one seed in that tournament and he hasn't qualified yet for the you know next year's candidates, uh, which I'm sure is on his mind. Right. Um, so he's going to have to like fully reset and recharge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And frankly, it looks like he's got less in the tank than usual. I don't mean this as an insult to him. I just mean like, like there have been other Fabies that showed up at tournaments that were much more convincing. Mm-hmm. And actually the, the players have been mentioning this. I think Wesley so mentioned it, Sam uh, Shanklin mentioned it. Like the players are, are pretty tired because they've been playing just like nonstop with the grand chess tour, some of the online events. Uh, and then there was like chess nine Alex. Now this event. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think Shanklin's like not even playing in Riga, which was a bit surprising to me, but yeah, yeah it's been a busy season for, for these guys. Yeah, and, and for Wesley, the most of all. Wesley's played the most, so it makes sense that comment came from him. He's, like, the most tired. So, uh, you know, if he wins this tournament, that's going to be pretty crazy because I think he was spotting the field like a pretty significant handicap. I think by a margin, he was the most tired coming into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, there was a question in the chat about um, qualification to the World Cup. I'm not sure. I know in the past um, several players... Uh, would qualify to the World Cup from the U.S. Championship, but I haven't heard specifically 
uh, if, if there are any qualification spots on the line for, for this yeah. one. That stuff is so obscure and always changing, like whether it counts as a zonal tournament now that FIDE no longer has interzonals as part of mm-hmm. their world championship cycle. It's kind of like random what is a zonal and who cares and how many spots there are and stuff. I mean, obviously the players who want a spot in the knockout, they figure it out and they care and then tie breaks come in, but. Right. And especially for fans, I mean, myself, I want it to be crystal clear. And a lot of times I go to Wikipedia and I'm just like, I have no idea. I have no (laughs) idea. I can't, I can't figure it out, man. It's too hard. Yeah. Or you go to a webpage for a tournament and it doesn't have basic info. Like this tournament is a qualifier for that tournament. It has four spots in it. Right, right, right. Well, to that end, let's talk about the U.S. championship. We might talk about championships in a more like abstract way too. Like we could talk about other countries' championships. And I thought what I'd do is just a little bit of history because I think it's kind of important to this. Um, So the first thing people should know is that before 2001, the U.S. championship, they were playing for peanuts. And they were truly then playing for a seed into like a qualification spot to an interzonal. We don't have interzonals anymore, right? But that was part of it. And they were just playing for peanuts, man. It was just, it was sad. It was really sad. The and money then, came from the USCF. The money, right? yeah, And the and US, good. USCF, like, I don't know, the prize fund was like, you know, like, like one or $2,000 for like the US champion. Like it right. was like ridiculous and to the point where a couple of years they just didn't even run a U.S. championship because the USCF didn't even have like enough money to like you know to fly people to the same location like it's just nothing. Right. So then in around 2001, it was Yvette Nagel who was Yasser Sarawan's wife pulled it together, man, with Sarawan, and they like got money and they took it from the USCF. They took it. Give me that. Give that thing to me. And. Um, then uh, we've had since 2001, a variety of sponsors and qualification methods. Uh, first, it was in Seattle, and I played in those two tournaments. Then it was in San Diego, and I played in those two tournaments. Then it was in uh, Oklahoma. After, and th- these are all you can imagine. We don't have to go into depth, but these were various sponsors who felt disappointed. <laughs> they were various sponsors who felt disappointed. Came to Oklahoma. There was dr- drastically less money in Oklahoma, but we did that for two years. I played there. Uh, David played there too. And uh, then St. Louis. And from there, we've been in St. Louis since I think 2010, I believe. And I played in that one, 2010. And... So let me just describe it a little bit in general. The beautiful thing that Yvette and Yasser did was they created a competitive qualification system. And I can't tell you how cool this is for people like myself or let's say Kostya, if they have a sense of like, okay, this is what I need to do in order to qualify. It's a beautiful thing. Even if it's like, a distant shot that you have that anybody could say get into it Um, and I'm really hoping that they reinstitute pathways into the U.S. championship for normal people that doesn't mean that it'll be easy for normal people to get in but just that they have pathways so for example and Kosti and David can correct me if I'm wrong at the moment the only way you can get in is if you're you you win the youth championship and 
if you win the U.S. Open, and and I don't even think there's a wild card. There might I don't think so. There is a wild card, which yeah. is Daniel Nerditsky. Oh right, okay. So there's one wild card, which honestly um, I don't approve of the wild card either. So, um, and back then we didn't have it. Uh, you know, in the Yasser times, there was no wild card. There were, but there was a lot more people. At uh, one year, we reached a high of 64, where they combined the the women in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in all and those other cases, times, yeah. At, at other times, you had fields of like about 30 players, right? Exactly. For a couple of those years, um, and for example, I think that uh, say the state championships should be a meaningful thing. For the most part, they aren't. But if the state championships were a qualifier to a qualifier to the U.S. championship. Well, then it becomes a really interesting thing. Then me and Costa are like, oh, we're going to win the state championship, dog. Now, now, we're, now we're on. Now we want a path. And that's what a pathway does, right? It gives people motivation for these driving points in a year, in a calendar, to be like, all right, here's my shot. Maybe it's a distant shot, but at least I can do it. And then people... That was, that was one of the pathways for a while, is they had a tournament of state right. champions, with one spot into the U.S. championship from that as well. Exactly, right. And yeah. I think that's important. You know, um, I also think if we had something like a Grand Prix system or just various tournaments that if you won them, there would be an entry point, I think that would be great. I'm going to go ahead and say that it's a political thing that the U.S. Open gets to have a spot because that tournament is really a joke. I, by the way, I qualified for the 2010 championship by winning the U.S. Open. And the reason it's a joke is that the first couple rounds you're playing weekies and it's only in the later rounds that you are going to face some really stiff competitions. So it becomes a real lottery at the end. Yeah, because it's often only nine rounds and right. the top players only start clashing sometimes in round six or seven. Right, exactly. And then if you consider like a draw here or there or somebody getting like two whites, it's suddenly like what? So basically we played a four round tournament and somebody got three whites out of four in the rounds that actually mattered or it's a three round tournament and somebody got two whites and then they they qualified. So or, or someone gets one pairing up or one pairing down and that can just decide the whole thing. Um, so yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. Personally, I don't, I don't mind the U.S. Open the way it is. It is a little bit of a lottery. But, um, I mean, to me, it's more about whether, like, a deserving winner comes out of it, I guess. And it seems like the last couple of years, you know, they typically get some twenty uh, strong 2,600, like a Lennerman or a Gureyev. Mm-hmm. I think Shabalov won a couple of years ago pretty mm-hmm. recently, which is um, kind of cool to see. But, um yeah, I mean, it's, not that, it's not that it's always producing a, a bad qualifier or anything like that. It's just that there are better options. Right. And as Jesse says, it's a political thing. It's the USCF's shtick, and it's one way that they prop up that tournament, the U.S. Open. Um, right. But there are all kinds of other pathways that might make sense and that could benefit from that kind of you know, yeah, I never even knew about the tournament of state champions, and that that does sound pretty cool because that would give more strong players an incentive to play uh, the state championship. I know for the SoCal state championship, they usually don't get the highest rated players in in the state playing that one because the prize right. fund's usually not that big. But with a potential spot to the U.S. championship, then yeah, it's like well, it's kind of like a U.S. Open thing. You convince more players to play, but it's it's helpful for all the states, which kind of makes sense. 
And yeah. as an example, what the senior tournament has that I'm going to be doing next year, thank you very much. <laughs> nice. um, there is a uh, tournament of state, there is senior state championships now, and that's a very new thing. And then the winner, there is this, there, then at the US Open, there is a tournament of state champions that will then, that winner gets a spot in the US senior. So that's like a model for how that kind of thing can work. And it also just, that event, for example, would I ever play in like a state senior championship? It wouldn't be the first thing on my mind. But now with that on the line, of course I'm gonna play, you know? Of course I'm gonna do. So that's an example of like, oh, of course, that's a way of get, getting people involved, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've been afraid that maybe my opinion is heavily biased by my own experience where like Jesse, I played in the in the qualifiers. I thought it was really fun. Um, I got into the U.S. championships. I played in that. It was really fun. So maybe my opinion is super biased, but I think that the qualifiers are super good for chess, like mm -hmm. up and down, like at every level. Because if you just consider this this one option of the state championships, and we're saying okay, normally the state championships are missing several of their best players, um, and then suddenly let's say there is a qualification and the best players show up. Now the state championship as a tournament is propped up, right? That tournament does better. So that helps the organizer of that tournament. It helps the people who go there because there's more people there to play. It's more fun, more exciting to be at a big tournament. Um, the players who qualify will be excited that they qualified. The players who get to play against the best players in their state because they're there will, you know, enjoy the chance to play against the best players. I'm sure there's a bunch of people around here and, you know, in California, who would be like really happy if Costia showed up at the California state championships, so they could play with him. Um, so, so I think like it, it's not just from my view, which could be wrong. It's not just the people who qualify who benefited from it, but it's like everybody up and down. And I recall that during several of those cycles, these tournaments were like full of, uh, of players and attendance was really, really high. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I just think that's like a killer idea and it's a real shame that they're not doing it, mm -hmm. but it does run into one format question, which is how many spots do you make open for qualifiers? And then basically how big is your championship tournament, right? Because uh, if you only have one possible spot and there's like 50 tournaments that like gradually seed uh -huh. to like one spot, it starts to become kind of a lottery ticket um, and like a little bit of a dream. But if you've got 10, 20 spots open, then you're already starting to talk about a different format for the U.S. championship, right? You're really changing how that works. Um, so, so there becomes a question of how much qualification do you want, even if you think that there should be qualification. And that has like a big impact on the structure eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it goes against my best interest, but I, I do like that the U.S. championship is this like closed uh, 12 player round robin, especially now that there's like all these 2700s in the field. Um, to me, it that kind of seems right. Like we have so many strong players, it should just be like a round robin with all the strongest. And I mean, I would love to play, you know, one of these like 64 player US championships or like 32 player, but then I think it like, I don't know, it's not, yeah, for me, it kind of takes away some of the, the prestige uh, of the event. Well, for example, I mean, I, I'm not saying, I think a, a good model could be six by rating, one as a junior champion, and then the rest by qualification. 
Mm. So you're leaving like five spots yeah. for qualification. Yeah. And then you're saying basically like all the 2,600 GMs around the country are going to have to participate in qualifiers and Costia won't get in, but he'll get to face those. He might get in, dude. In he might get in, man. <laughs> no. And I want to say like, for example, I, I really want to stress this. Uh, I'm pretty certain I wouldn't have gone for it in terms of uh, going for the GM title in the early 2000s. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't say I wouldn't have gone for it, but it was a very big deal that I had those events like on my calendar and it was like, okay, we're going to do this. And then being able, because let me just say, like you play in American Opens, there's not a lot of, uh, it's not a beautiful thing. It's not a, a, you know, you're next to some dude and you're elbowing him there, right there, man. And now they make you wear this mask and it's all really intense. But, you know, you play in a great event like the U.S. Championship where there's beautiful conditions and it's quiet and the lighting is correct. And it's like, thank you. This is this is why I'm playing chess, you know. So there was like a dream for like a little bit of chess culture at the end of at the end of all the struggle. There would be that dream of chess culture. And that's the same reason why right now. The, making it to the senior championship is a goal of mine. I just, it's not just like, oh, I want to say I won the U.S. senior championship or I played in it. I mean, that's cool too, but I just want that experience where I can then, you know, one game a day and then we'll, we'll hang out afterwards and we'll talk about chess, we'll talk about the game, you know, the whole, the whole experience, you know, which I got out of the U.S. championship playing it in all those years is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, some credit there goes to the St. Louis Chess Club because pretty much all the events they put on have like incredible conditions for the players. Right. Even like these like dinky little like I am Norm Round Robins, they treat the players really, really well for those. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, so you're Jesse, you're going to play in the next year, U.S. Senior. Is well, that the plan? Uh, you know, honestly, it's a little tricky this first year because <laughs> I have to. I think I have to wait until I'm 50 before I'm allowed to play in certain qualifying events, you know? Hmm. And so maybe they should give me the, the honorary spot, right? They should give me the honorary <laughs> spots because of that. Well, you are a streamer, so you've that's got that right. going for you. I think that's how they picked the wild card this year. That's and right. Probably yeah. that will continue to be the case. <laughs> in the I actually future. don't think there should be a wild card, but... Uh, I think it will be difficult in my first year just because I, yeah, I, there's all these events. I don't think I'm going to be able to you know, get in before as a qualifier. Yeah. Well, let me suggest a, a concept which I think can both keep prestige in the final championship event and make the qualification like a fun process all the way up. Have the... If you wanted to keep the U.S. championship like closed to 12 players or so, which I'm not yet saying if I if I do or don't, but um, you could have like the tournament before that be like a really prestigious event as well that qualifies the last like five spots instead of each of them coming from one different event. Mm. You could have your events around the country, like the state championships and the Chicago Open can have two spots and whatever, you know, any any event you want to prop up or, or promote or whatever. Right. Right. Um, you get these people and you create sort of like a super Swiss that's like at the qualifying stage, right? And in that event, you've got your, you know, 40 or 50 player Swiss that would look a little bit like what the U.S. championships 
looked like for a moment there in, um, you know, 2001 to 2008. Um, and then for players who don't quite make it to the prestigious championships, they still get to play in that really great practice that would be that, you know, 40 players Swiss with like, you know, probably 30 GMs and 10 talented IMs and some juniors and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they don't get to play in that final event, but they still get to play like an absolutely super event and feel like, hey, we got to level two or level three in the qualification. And I don't know exactly how the Russian championship works, but it's called like the, you know, the the like finals because yeah. they've got some version of like tiers along the way, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, that's, actually, I, that's been a dream. Oh, go like, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say briefly, like, Back in the day, too, like if you look at the US, the USSR quarterfinals and then semifinals, those were strong tournaments, man. Yeah. That was beautiful. That was, a, yeah. I think that's a model for how we could be doing it. Yes. So that's something that I'm saying I'm strongly in favor of right now. Yeah. Is that like, and then you can judge, like maybe you didn't get to the championship, but you got to the quarterfinals and like next yeah. year you're trying to get to the semifinals and wherever you're at, you're playing people at a good level for you getting excellent practice mm -hmm. and, and dreaming up and it's supporting all the tournaments that are within that qualification. Right. Yeah. I really want to talk about how the, the Russians do it. Cause that seems like an interesting, I was hoping one of you guys had a specific knowledge. Uh, Cause yeah, I think it's just like multiple leagues and then you like qualify up and up. Um, what I wanted to say is that for Southern California, actually the way they do their state championship is very similar to what David was describing. At least a few years ago, they would have, um, the state championship, which is a closed, I think, eight player round robin. And then I think it would be like the previous state champion and then five spots by rating. And then two spots would be given to the SCCF, you know, Southern California Chess Federation uh, qualifier event, which was a, like a big super Swiss, a four round super Swiss mm. that gives up two spots. But to get into that qualifier, you need to be either like, uh, I don't know, above 23, 2400, something like that. Um, but they also give out spots uh, via all the open tournaments that take place or at least used to in Southern California. So there would be like two spots from the American Open, two spots from like the Southwest Open, all these different events. Mm -hmm. And that's actually how I got into the qualifier, I think once or twice just by qualifying through one of those events. And yeah, actually to, to your guys's point, it was very motivating to feel like, oh yeah, there's this tournament next summer. You know, I have to play in these open tournaments to try to qualify. And then I have to try to qualify um, from there. And I did actually, one year I got very lucky and got into like the top two and then got to play my first um, Southern California state championship, which was awesome. And it was still, yeah, very strong and mm -hmm. uh, prestigious event. All right. So it sounds like all three of us just to like sum up and be clear, we're all in favor of qualification and maybe one of these systems with tiers. And you could have that at the state level. You can also have that at the national level. Um, and I think it props all those tournaments up. Uh, I think we all agree that, that it sort of supports all those tournaments and the players at any rating level will benefit from that being in place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess a remaining question I have for all of you about how national championships should be structured is do you like um, the format of a Swiss um, of a round Robin or of a Swiss or of a knockout or, or something else? Like if you were to set up us championships um, like uh, if uh, Rex died and left 
the the St. Louis Chess Club to you and his will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how would you organize a national championship? Give me all the details. Um, okay. okay, I haven't yeah. super thought it out, but I really like the idea of I think ending with a knockout. So just spitballing here to me. I love the idea of like a super strong round robin just because I like the tradition, you know, like Fisher winning all these events, 11 and 0 scores, just like almost always been just like a very strong round robin with all the best players. And now we have so much talent that it, it makes sense. And um, these guys are, you know, clearly the ones with the best chance. Um, but then to finish, yeah, the thing I never liked is when, you know, you have two players tied for first. And going into the last round, one of them is white against like the last place guy. Another one is black against another one of the favorites. And it's just like this weird, weird final round where there's so much tension and they're both trying to like score a point. And then maybe there's a playoff if they're tied. I kind of like, you know, you just take the top four after nine rounds or whatever, and then you put them in the knockout. One place four, two place three, and then the winners play each other. And then, you know, whatever the knockout um, system is, I don't know, maybe, it, maybe it's more classical to start and then some rapid tie break, like similar to the world cup, how they, they finish it. Of course it takes a lot more time, but I, I think a, a four player knockout is, is super exciting. I think that's what they do for the grand chess tour, or at least they did for a couple of years. They had this like uh, knockout final. Right. Would you like to see two game or four game matches of classical between those top four players before they get into rapid or blitz as tie breaks? I would say just two games. Cause the tournament is already pretty long as it is. So, yeah, I wouldn't want to extend it like an insane amount. Okay. Jesse, what does your tournament look like? So we got uh, six places by rating, and that's because a lot of those guys never play in the U.S., and I'm okay with that. They're out playing in Europe all the time, and if they got the rating, that's fine. So six places by rating, one as a junior. That's been a tradition that I think has always been good. Mm -hmm. And then the remaining... Five spots will be one is a tournament of U.S. state champions. They come together and they play this tournament. Mm -hmm. And some of those states are so small, they wouldn't even send somebody. Alaska might not send somebody. Fine. It doesn't have to be 50 people. <laughs> Fine. Whoever comes, comes. And then the remaining four spots will be the biggest, the most moneyed tournaments in the United States of the year before. So imagine then, and, and by the way, a lot, one of the tricks that happens when you go to the Grand Prix page on the USCF uh, site is they list Grand Prix points by total money that is like under 1800 prize, under 1600 prize. When we do it this my way, those prizes don't count. It only counts how much money you have in the open section. So the four tournaments with the biggest money of the year before will get a qualifying spot for the next year based on how much money they had. And that will provide incentive for the tournaments to raise the bar in terms of how much money they have and to create it so that the money incentive will drive the best players to those events naturally anyway. Um, beautiful, oh man. And then, and then for guys like me, that would be like, right, well, those are the four tournaments I'm playing. Those are the four tournaments I'm playing that year. Or maybe five if I'm trying for the state championship too. It would give me like a clear calendar and path to be like, those are the quality events that I'm gonna play in this year. And anyways, All right, you're throwing majors. a lot of yeah. cool ideas at us, Jesse. So can I just interrupt to clarify, yeah. just to make sure that yeah. I and everybody else is understood. 
you're ending up with about with 12 players. Yep. With your qualification, right? And are you saying that if last year the top four money turns were, you know, Chicago, World Open, US Open, right. and Continental Open or sure. something like that, and I'm running the California Open, if I add $100,000 to my prize fund next year, yeah. then I could get the yeah, qualifications absolutely. at my tournament instead That's of at right. one of those other tournaments? That's right. So there's no setup where like somebody's just got an in their tournament always gets the no spot. End. It's no really end. like no. any organizer is kind of competing to be the tournament with that spot. That's right. Okay. I got you. Keep going. All right. And, re and I really want to say it's very important. Like when you look at tournaments and they say 300 grand pre-points, a lot of times that's because there's like $20,000 first place for the under 1200 section. That money doesn't count. <laughs> You can do that, fine. I'm not opposed to it. But for this qualification spot, it only matters what you have as money in the top section, the open section, which anybody can play in, right? Yeah. Anybody can play in the open. That's right. Okay, now you've got your 12 players. What do they do? It's a round robin, just like Kostya said, man, classical. We've been doing it for, mm -hmm. it goes back for over 100 years. This is a great tradition. Let's keep mm -hmm. it going. Yeah. So you just want it exactly like it is now? You don't. Uh, the difference don't I would have is I think the women should play at a different time, simply with the hope that there'll be a woman who someday qualifies for the U.S. Right. Championship, and then she can. Play You'd want her to play in both. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there was one year where Irina Crush could have played in either one. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think maybe they were giving a spot to the U.S. Women's Champion, or I don't. I don't remember exactly how she was qualified, but she had a choice. Right. And uh, I, mean, I actually don't when, even remember which one she picked. <laughs> also, when there was the whole that qualification system and the tournament was bigger and Jesse and I got in, uh, she got in that way as well. Um, right. To qualifying. So, Jesse, you'll just play a 12 round uh, round robin like now. No, yeah. no knockouts, no funny business. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm flexible. You know, like the events we played in, I especially remember fondly the one we had in San Diego it was great. Uh, I think that was maybe 20, 25, 30. That, that was beautiful as well, I gotta say. But I think what the strong players object to, and I think it's, it's reasonably fair, is they object to the randomness of 30 people. And I get it, I totally understand that. So, but, but with this, we're just, it's basically gonna be 12 people. It will be close to the same, number, same standard of people that we have now, but it will just be with the chance of chumps like me and Kostya getting in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got one or two problems with the current format that I'd like to switch mm -hmm. a little bit. So one thing I don't like is people having uneven whites and blacks in the championship. Mm. Um, so one possible fix to that is actually you have like 11 or 13 players in a tournament instead of 12. And there's sort of like a rotating buy. But everyone gets, you know, six whites and six blacks, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just creates one extra rest day that's kind of rotating around. Um, but that, that creates a little bit of imbalance too, right? Just to It's a tiny imbalance that someone might have a better or a more optimal rest day than somebody else. Yeah. I think that's like much less of a big deal than an extra black um, would be, right? So like if I had the choice to like go into the last round and I'm in competition for first with you. And my choice is either you get white against somebody and I get black against somebody, or you get a rest day the day before and you still have to play black. 
like for sure I would say like, okay, <laughs> give him the rest day, make him play black. Um, so I think that's, that's a bit of a problem. I don't, I don't love that, that, well, I, I actually, I don't tolerate it. It may seem like a tiny detail to some, but like, it just rubs me the wrong way. Like so many tournaments that are like nine rounds long when they could just be eight or 10 or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, I just, yeah. <laughs> I've always liked the idea as well of, uh, I think the London classic did this of just having the rest day player join the commentary team, at least for like an hour or something. As I think, I mean, I think that's just great for the fans, you know, yeah. get like Wesley. So making fun of his other competitors or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's an idea I had like, yeah a decade ago. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and yeah, then when London more. used it, I was like, yes, <laughs> use my idea. Hmm. Um, so yeah, having them rotate through, I think when you get to something important, like a championship tournament, I think asking someone to spend like their whole rest day doing like five or six hours of commentary on like a championship tournament is not that is like maybe a little bit too much, but as you say, like a one hour appearance on there could be like super cool. Yeah. Um, and okay so so first of all i'd make it like an even number of rounds and um you know i even i even like the idea of somehow making it a double round robin so like reducing the number of players in the final stage Mm. to maybe like eight or something like that and Uh have a double round uh round robin and i know i'm kicking some people out but I would make my sort of like second league or whatever, you know, semifinal, I would make it like a super awesome tournament so that we don't have to feel too bad for um, the people who played in that one, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I'd like, probably a double round robin, eight players. Yeah, and then some kind of, you know, you got your super final, you got your higher league, I still don't know the breakdown of the Russian. It's like you got the higher league, which I think is the third or second one. <laughs> okay. And then the super final, that's the last one. Yeah. Which implies that there's a final somewhere, but I, <laughs> I don't quite get it. Yeah. The super final is definitely the final right now. And I'm pretty sure it's got 12 players right now of whom five of them are 2,700 and seven of them are in the 2,600s. And actually the U.S. championship has a slightly higher average rating. And the Russian championship, although they're very, very close. Yeah, not all the top players play in the Russian championship as well, right? right? Because they've they've had a few winners that are like, I don't think it's a 2,700 every year. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, like Kramnik, for example, doesn't play every year. Yeah, they're missing several players uh, this year. Um, And I wonder about, about that. The U.S. championships rarely misses many of its top players. And the Russian super final is a little bit spottier. So there may be some issue there with, with either scheduling or prize money or qualification, something that isn't uh, always working out um, for their best players. But I would say if your national championship is missing more than one or two of your top players, you're probably doing something wrong with the organization, right? Like, mm-hmm. You know, if Nakamura wants to stream, like, what can you do about it? But if you've got four or five 2700s in Russia who aren't playing in it, something went wrong. I noticed Artemyev is playing in, like, the side events, which is the last topic I want to get your opinions about. But Artemyev is playing, like, the Russian Blitz Championship, Russian Rapid Championship, stuff like that, which are held at the same time. But he's not in the Super Final. And so, like, you know, I just... 
I wonder, it means he's like available, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so did he fail in qualification or, you know, were there problems with the, with the format or, or something like that? I don't, I don't know, but there's enough people missing. Karyakin, Nepo, Kramnik, Fiddler, Right. Bob. Yeah. And it's not and just yeah. because of, um, of Nepo, as someone is saying in the chat, because this happens in, uh, I think almost every year that I follow the Russian, uh, championship it's not all the top players playing so they're often missing a lot of their their top guys and that's like i just listed like seven names right who all could conceivably um be there and are like a hundred points higher than some of the people who are there so i don't know exactly what the deal is but i but but um but i do like the the tiers and my last question to both of you is how do you feel about having other events at the same time as the championship either right before, right after, but, you know, sort of like, like sort of building it into a kind of chess festival and two examples, the Russian one, I just said, they've got a team blitz championship. They've got a rapid team championship. They've got individual rapid championship, individual blitz championship, women's championship, and all those other tournaments as women's only divisions as well. So that's at least 10 tournaments going on right now in Russia. Um, and, uh, and I was looking up the German national championships and likewise, they, ran about like eight tournaments at the same time, including their version of the U S open as a German open championship and a German closed championship and a women's championship and a senior championship and a blitz and a rapid and a senior blitz and senior rapid, blah, blah, blah. So they've got like, you know, 10 events. How do you feel about that? Would you like to stack some events together? Um, would you like to see a national rapid or blitz for the U S? Um, I think, in general, I it's I, I think that it's such a holy event that the players shouldn't be thinking about doing rapid or blitz on the side. But mm -hmm. if, for example, the U.S. Open wanted to be held in the same spot, like let's say in St. Louis, uh, that would be great for chess fans because I feel like uh, there isn't a big tournament in St. Louis, for example, and a lot of players, I, I always tell people like once in your life, you need to go to St. Louis as a pilgrimage just to go check it out. And yeah. the U S championship is a great time to go visit the club because you can uh, watch the games and then you watch the commentary. But also if you just hang out, <laughs> you just hang out at the club, you're going to have these players come down and analyze their games. And it's amazing. It's absolutely right. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd like some kind of a big classic open tournament. Right. But I am not a fan of like doing like a lot of these tournaments I go to. They're like, come play a blitz tournament at 11 o'clock tonight. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do wish we had a more developed like U.S. Blitz, U.S. Rapid Championship. I mean, I think these tournaments do exist, but they're always like, I don't know. They're like held at like random places or random events and. And they're held yeah. as like open tournaments with minimal advertising or prize fund and you don't get the top players, right? So like chess numbers in chat is saying like, well, like you're trying to get Wesley So to show up to your national championship. Okay. Like, but now you're going to ask him to play three or four events in a row. How do you yeah. get him to commit to that? But to that point, I would just say, well, like these guys all just played like a rapid and a Fisher random rapid tournament in St. Louis, you know, like a week before this. Um, mm -hmm. so they already played like several events in a row in a sense. And I think it could be cool to, 
to do that. I'm not married to the idea. I would put it in like decreasing order of holiness. Uh-huh. So you'd start with the championships and then you'd have like a day or two off and then you'd have the U.S. Rapid Championships. Right. And those who wanted to could stick around for that. And if there were good money, then they've then for them, it's cutting down on travel time and stuff. Right. So I, I don't think that's necessary. I mean, right now, like so the World Rapid and Blitz, that's like a five day event, I think. Three yeah. days for Rapid, two days for Blitz and you get yeah. two champions. So, yeah. I mean, if it's like a five day event, like you could just hold it in December or, you know, November or whatever. But like I'm fine with that, too. Just holding it as a separate thing. As long as you have enough space. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that would be really really cool yeah um but i'm definitely in favor of jesse's idea of having something for having some kind of a tournament for everybody except the championship so that there'd be an extra reason for everybody to be in town at at that time and um i'm also in agreement with jesse keeping the the women's championship at a different time and keeping the senior championship at a different time so those players could conceivably compete in I mean, a senior female could compete in all three. Right, right, right. Yeah, similar structure. Actually, I think they have a like Y Conze, right? They have the C group, the B group. You qualify for the A group, mm-hmm. and then they have this like massive tournament for everyone else that's not in the you know one of these top three groups. Right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, and it seems like I mean Y Conze is yeah one of the great tournaments year round. Sure. Absolutely, one of the coolest scenes I've ever seen was going to Y Conze one year. And seeing like the A group, the B group, the C group, and then the open. And it, it was just fantastic. I mean, there were so many people there and it's just mm-hmm. awesome to be near the good players. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. Beautiful. Well, that was our dojo talks for today. Uh, yeah, we'll continue. If you have a, a topic you would like us to discuss, send us a tweet or something. We'll check it out. And we try to do this once a week. So everybody, Thank you. And Kosi, do we have anybody streaming next? Um, yeah, let's let's close out the, the, the podcast. Please uh, subscribe, review the podcast. We never do this. <laughs> yeah. Subscribe to the YouTube, all the usual stuff. Um, but yeah, let's let's cut it there. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening.